Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. Today we will be beginning Book 4 of the Ascension edition of Confessions. This bonus episode is an introduction to the reflections that you'll hear for the next few days. If you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast Godsplaining. There you'll find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find Godsplaining with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplaining.org. All right, let's get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so here we are on the threshold of Book 4. We've made our way through Books 1, 2, and 3. We are cruising along. And St. Augustine has kind of made his way out of adolescence and then is describing a stage in his life where he meets the woman with whom he will live in concubinage, which is to say like they're married, but they're not married, uh, for quite a few years. He'll describe also in this book his descent into a heresy called Manichaeanism, which we will have already described for you in another introduction. Um, And then he's going to talk at great length, and this will occupy us for the most part in this book, of the loss of his friend. So ages 19 to 28, a pretty influential time in a person's growth and maturation. St. Augustine becomes a teenage father. Uh, Father Jacob Burchin, you want to orient us a little bit to this time in his life? Yeah, so as we've been reading through, obviously we've been following through the journey of St. Augustine's life, and we followed him through his childhood, his younger teenage years, and then into his, as Father Gregory just said, into his late teens and through his 20s. And in this, we've also followed St. Augustine through a sort of kind of winding path of beliefs and things that he's ascribed to his his sort of beginning stages and into now his his education and his learning which really sets the scene for us getting to know St Augustine and his his thought about the world as it were you know what he believes who he believes and what he kind of ascribes to so as father gregory said we'll talk more about his entrance into and and sort of buying into the manichaean sect, I guess we'd call it a sect or heresy, or we can call it a number of different things, but we'll call it a sect for now. And as we go forward too, there's, you know, always looking forward how this leads him into contact with Christianity again, of course, through the influence of various people and friends and his mother and that sort of thing. But here we are kind of setting where he gets, or we're at the setting where St. Augustine really kind of takes a deep dive into this Manichaean sect. And that begins to shape his life for, what, a good decade to come-ish. So that's kind of where we are with him. 
Yeah, and, and I think one of the themes that we've been hitting on or that we've been emphasizing over the course of the past several days in our commentary is that St. Augustine is a man of great love. That's not necessarily to say that his love is pure or that it's holy, but certainly he's a man aflame with desire. And as, you know, we're going to read that desire is going to be healed and grown, it's going to be purified and emboldened, and it's going to take shape in, you know, the life of one of the greatest saints of the church's tradition. But here we see what that desire when untrained or when undisciplined, we see all the different ways in which it can assume shape in a young man's life. And so, you know, certainly he's vain and will describe himself as vain. He wants to win prizes. He wants to distinguish himself as an orator, but also he's, he's superstitious. He doesn't descend into superstition in the way that some of his contemporaries do, but here he's talking about astrology. He's talking about soothsaying. I think that it's helpful for us to know just at the outset that in the ancient world, uh, even in like the biblical world, that there are a variety of ways in which to try to tell the future. So people will call back the dead. You know, we've heard of perhaps necromancy, uh, or people will like, you know, kill animals and then read their entrails for some indication. It's called horospexy, which is a weird word that I learned in my prophets class, but cheers to that. Um, and then, you know, like the casting of lots or, you know, all these different things. So St. Augustine, he wants, he desires, and he's trying to get a hold on the future. And we see this especially in, you know, his desire for other people, his desire for for intimacy, for for friendship, you know, with his concubine and with his friends. So, yeah, further thoughts on, on St. Augustine's love, the, the vehemence of his love or the direction of his love at this stage in the life? Yeah, and, and I guess reading about St. Augustine and thinking about him, there is this particular intensity. He seems to, it's not terribly fleeting in the way that like he wasn't a manichae for like six weeks. He was a manichae for a long time, you know? So it's not in the sense that he doesn't bounce around from things. He's not like Kramer and Seinfeld where it's a new thing every day. But there is a particular, like he he's a very intentional and intense man, it seems. We see this in his um, desire for knowledge, uh, you know, as he talks about this uh, throughout his writings, we see this in his sort of pursuit of what is good and true, even though, like most of us, he gets it wrong a lot of the time. Um, but I think in particular ways, we see this in his relationships. We see this in his desire to be loved, in his, yeah, in his relationship with the woman with whom he spends a lot of time with his friends, with his son, with his mother. And then as we go forward after his conversion with Christians and, and defending the faith, you know, so there's this real desire for Augustine to be loved. I think sometimes when we read lives of the saints or when we kind of, yeah, read their biographies or even in the scriptures, when we read about people in the scriptures, they become sort of objects of like historical storytelling. You know, they're not really it's hard sometimes to see them as real people, but here in this point and in this section in Augustine's life in particular, you can really see kind of his humanity because we all in similar ways desire to be loved, maybe with less or greater intensity, but that, that desire of our heart is apparent in our own lives and also in St. Augustine's. Yeah, and I think, you know, as we go through this book over the course of the next few days, we're going to focus especially on his relationship with this friend, this unnamed friend from Tagast. And I think one good thing to have in mind is how we as Christians seek to train or to discipline our loves, because there's a pretty strong tradition of describing our loves in terms of attachment and detachment. And we talk about like holy detachment 
uh, in glowing terms, and sometimes that gives the wrong impression, namely that the point of the Christian life is to be wholly detached from all persons, places, and things, so that way you can, what, like live in a sensory deprivation chamber and think about God for 17 hours a day and then maybe sleep for another seven. When, when truth be told, no, we're, we're meant to be attached, but we're meant to be attached to the right things because as human beings, we live in relationships of dependence. There's one author of the philosophical school of the last handful of years who talks about human beings as dependent rational animals. So like we're animals, so we're going to exist in these relationships of dependence, but we do so rationally or reasonably. And I think that we're trying to breathe reason into our attachments, not just human reason, but divine reason. And I think here and in, in his encounter with this particular friend in Tagast and then his loss of this friend in Tagast, he realizes the unreasonableness or the irrationality that stems from a kind of unhealthy attachment. So yeah, thinking about our own spiritual lives with attachments and detachments, how might we approach uh, this book, book four, as we go, you know, in pursuit of a richer relationship with the Lord? Yeah, I think it's just that the last few words that contextualizes our relationships with all things, with people and with everything that we interact with in the world. And that's our Lord. You know, there's, as we read these pages with St. Augustine, as we journey forward towards his conversion and coming books, we see that that his relationship with the Lord becomes more and more of the defining kind of reality of his life. And then that gives shape and context and life to his other relationships. So I think in, in this book and these years of St. Augustine's life, this sort of what I don't want to say irrationality, but at least his attachment and sadness following the irrationality of those things comes into St. Augustine's life or as part of his life in these years because there is no sort of context for his relationships besides the relationship in itself. And what do I mean by that? I mean that our relationships, our friendships, relationships with family, with spouses, with children, with whomever are all, um, especially friendship, and we'll talk, we'll continue to talk about friendship in St. Augustine's life and in our lives, they all center around the fact that friendship is supposed to help us in the life of virtue and in coming closer and closer to our Lord in the pursuit of holiness. Friends aren't objects in the sense that they're tools to do that, but we go to the Lord together. And when that reality, when the Lord is not teaching us to love and the reason for our loving, we the attachment to things becomes, you know, classically what we could call disordered or like out of whack or too much or too little or hard to navigate. And I'm sure we've experienced that in our own lives. I know I have in, in attachments to, to things or people or, you know, when, when our Lord isn't in the crosshairs, then it's kind of hard to navigate well. Yeah. And I, and I think too, what, what's fascinating is St. Augustine actually, he'll revisit this time in his life when he writes his retractions, uh, which is a work from, you know, later on in his career, and he revisits the things that he had written throughout, you know, the course of his life, and he admits to being wrong about certain matters, or he admits to being embarrassed, or to having regretted certain aspects of, of what went before. And when he revisits this particular passage of the Confessions, describing his sadness regarding the loss of his friend, he'll say, like, it was just entirely too much. And I think that the way that I describe it, you know, like it just draws too much from paganism. And I spoke of our intimacy or the intensity of our love in exorbitant terms or just kind of over the top terms. And so it's, it's interesting to hear him say that from, you know, a perspective of maybe 20 years down the road, because sure, hindsight's 2020, but also the growth of the virtue of penitence in his heart has given him a fresh perspective on what has gone before. And so I think that, again, approaching this in the context of our own lives, there's a sense in which, you know, 
Christianity, not Christianity, but like our relationship with the Lord in, in very concrete terms is a stabilizing force because it's super easy to be thrown about or tossed about by the difficulties of life and to feel everything super acutely, like we're not going to make it through the day or the week or whatever because the loss is too grave or the upset is too acute or, you know, yada, yada, thus and such. But, you know, when you have the Lord, you have everything and you're able to take everything in stride. Not to say that it's not sad to lose somebody that you love, but you're able to take it in stride in the context of these other relationships, which provide you not only perspective, but but genuine consolation. So I think it's, you know, if we look at our own lives and see like, wow, I'm, I'm being a little bit precious or a little bit melodramatic, or I just am not resilient, um, then maybe this too, engaging with St. Augustine on this point and then looking to his future can also help us. So yeah, your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's, I once heard a homily preached by another Dominican friar, and he gave, you know, we give our Lord, he gives himself titles, and we give him titles too, but one of the things in this homily that that this Dominican said was that that our Lord is is divine stability, you know, when the, re the rest of like the world is kind of spiraling, it's our Lord who stands in the center and stands constant, you know, he's unchanging, his love for us is unwavering, his his dominion over sin is is once and for all, you know, he's that divine stability in in everything, but especially in our lives. And the the pursuit of of holiness is about our proper detachment from the things of this world, the passing things of this world, and our attachment more and more to our Lord, who is this divine stability, such that when things, joys and sorrows come in our lives, we can recognize and see them in the light of Christ. And that, that I think, it doesn't fix everything. You know, that doesn't mean that our lives aren't without their crosses, but it certainly unites them to what is everlasting, you know, and that's our Lord. And that that also adjusts our expectations on on life and the things of this world with respect to, you know, our being sad or our being lonely or our being whatever. That that yeah, things of this world are not final and they're not complete and they're broken, but there is someone who is final and complete and unbroken. And that's and that's Christ. And we begin to see this in St. Augustine's sort of revelation of of his own life and of his coming to to our Lord and how the Lord is drawing St. Augustine to himself. So um, I really like that idea of our Lord as divine stability. And yeah, as St. Augustine's heart and mind begins to to be converted, I think maybe he wouldn't have put it in those words, but at least we can see the same kind of reflections in his life. Yeah, I, I find that to be very beautiful. And I think my mind kind of goes to one of the monastic vows so the monks profess vows of obedience, change of, you know, customs or kind of change of habitude, and then stability of place. And I think the idea is that you would vow stability of place so that in kind of situating yourself here and now, you can't flee from the work that our Lord will do, provided only that you let him. Because the Lord will do work, provided that we let him, but we can't be running hither and thither or freaking out over this and that. It's, it's for us to kind of, you know, dispose ourselves or open ourselves up to the divine physician, as we have referred him to, the divine stability. So that's what we have for you in introducing this here book four. We look forward to chatting with you more over the course of our reading in this book and in the books to come. So know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics. <laughs>